really to bargain, like reasonable people. Seems like a lot of trouble to get me here. <laughs> well, when you've lived two millennia, you find ways to entertain yourself. So what do you want to talk about? Something is coming. Something none of you are prepared for. Not even that dramatic sap D and his ghost side friends can save you from it. Hello, and welcome to Talented. What you just heard was a clip from Ghost Sight Into the Dark, a film that was written, produced, filmed, and edited by this week's guest, Ethan Dunn. Not only did Ethan create this film, but he based it off a comic that he has written as well. Well, welcome. Thank you for coming on to my podcast. Of course. Glad to be back. <laughs> I am so excited that we get to continue this conversation. As we ended the last podcast, uh, we started talking about Ghost Sight. Yeah. So tell me a little about Ghost Sight and the universe around it. Yeah, so Ghost Sight was, um, it's, it's essentially a, a world with vampires, werewolves, ghosts, and uh, demons, but also these characters called Ghost Sight who have this sort of innate ability to see ghosts and to defeat them, to kill them, even though they're already dead, to make them move on essentially by battle. Um, so it's very much like a fantasy macabre. As we learned in the last podcast, it fits very well with my aesthetic of like creepy and also fantasy. <laughs> so that's it. That's cool. So what do you mean when somebody has ghost sight? Will you explain what ghost sight is exactly? Yeah. So ghost sight is this ability where people are born to see ghosts. Um, so it's not that just like spiritualists or people like that can see ghosts, but ghost sight people can see ghosts. But so can vampires, werewolves, and demons, and witches. So that doesn't necessarily make them special. But what does make ghost sight people special is they can sort of project their soul into a weapon that they have. Therefore, kind of passing through that veil into the world of the dead and defeat ghosts who then are forced by them to move on after being defeated. So that's where their real ability lies, is, is sort of this mystical ability to move through the veil to the world of the dead. That's way cool. And is there, um, is this just like, you have it and you're like immortal or like does it come with like with great power comes great responsibilities yeah i would say ghost sight with great power comes great death and early death so oh no yeah so ghost sight users um because it's such a big deal for them to sort of border between life and death they usually die in their 20s um, so they die incredibly quickly. They sort of burn out like a battery from all of the effort it takes to use ghost sight. And the only way that you can prevent that is by having a vampire drink your blood because it's kind of like the idea of tainted blood being drawn from them and new blood can regenerate. So the only way that you can, I guess maybe in that idea you could get like bloodletting done, but I've we've never explored that area. So you got to have a vampire to suck your blood in order to live longer. Dang, that's, that's crazy. Yeah, so crazy and... Maybe dark, but also adds drama, and we all love drama. <laughs> and adds to the story. Yes. Tell me about your characters. Yeah, so, man, that's a question and a half. There's a lot of characters, but the, the originals were Andrew, Lizzie, Matt, and Dee, who are a werewolf, a vampire, and two ghost sight people. So the, the first comic in that universe, because the universe compromises, I mean, in the best way to describe it is a very Marvel way. It's got four stages to it. Um, and that first stage was more of a romance, more focused on Lizzie and Andrew and their romance as they also fight monsters and stuff. It's very anime, to be honest, the very <laughs> first phase. And that's where the inspiration kind of came from. Um, so those are, you say, your first phase. What other characters do you have? Yeah, so second phase is, it's, it's almost always a quartet of heroes. 
So the first phase is those four, but the second phase is Blake, Leela, uh, Dawn, and Rose, who are a witch, um, which is Rose. And then the two ghost sites are Dawn and Blake. And then the third is a vampire, Leela. So that's the the main characters of the second phase, if you will. And then the third is um, Corey, Chrissy, Sophia, and Xander as a quartet, but that quartet, spoiler warning, gets broken in some ways that the others do not. Um, and then the fourth phase is kind of the Infinity War phase, if you will, <laughs> if we're going to go back to the Marvel analogy where all of the characters are sort of main characters together. Um, so I've heard this story, but how did you come up with the idea for Ghost Sight? Yeah, so Ghost Sight, um, my friend and I were both horribly obsessed with anime like weeaboos basically when we were in high school and so but we were like anime purists where we were incredibly picky with which animes we watched so i remember one night we were at her house and we were looking and watched like probably three hours worth of just beginning episodes of anime series and none of them were appealing to us and we were like what if we just wrote our own and we had already been drawing comics uh most of them were comedy using this uh form that one of her friends had made up and had sort of spread in our friend group and we were all co-authoring different comics but they were all comedy and so this one was our first actual like serious one and so i that night in her living room drew the first page of the first ghost site and it's never stopped since (laughs) that's really cool so give us the timeline of um when you started writing so you were started writing that night up into where you are today yeah so 2008 i think is when we did the first page and we wrote all the way to 2010 finished four notebooks worth of the comic and had started the final fifth one of that first phase, which was the only phase at that point, um, with no plans of going further. And then I left to Japan, and then came back, and we finished it, uh, which was just like the final battle that we needed to finish. So we were like, why not, like at this point? And while I was in Japan, I had doodled this new character that had sort of this button-up white shirt and like this really spiky black hair, and I just loved his design. So I remember we went to Dairy Keen, which is a, a really awesome ice cream place in Heber, uh, and we sat down and I showed her the drawing and I said, what if we did like another one? And then from then we at Dairy Keen planned like almost the entire second phase. And we started that day after basically, and that has continued and we're not done with that one yet. And, and she's, she loves it, but I think she's kind of done after phase two. And so I was like being me, I was like, I have two other phases planned. So I started <laughs> doing my own phase three kind of with just her, giving permission. <laughs> so do you want to talk us through the phases? Like what kind of is the plan through all the phases? Yeah. So f- the first phase, like I said, which is basically complete now, um, is all about Andrew, Lizzie, Dee, and Matt. It's an intro to the world. And I think what I, w- what I like to think of it as retrospectively is it's sort of this journey of these people dealing with the trauma of their past Interestingly enough, there's a quartet of villains in that first phase as well. And each one matches with one of them in a way and has to do with trauma in their past. So it's sort of them dealing with their trauma. It's a very personal like story with just those eight characters, basically, and hardly anyone else. Um, but then the second phase blows the world open. And now it's a big demon war. And there's a demon lord who wants to kill everyone. And so it becomes this bigger deal. Um, And then the third phase, you start to see some inner workings that were happening through phase one and two, sort of the Thanos of the world who has been manipulating things and messing with stuff and now is ready to 
really blow the world apart. And so it's them dealing with that and dealing with friendship being lost. And then the fourth one is just everybody comes together to defeat the big bad, if you will. So, Well, I'm excited. I was given uh, the first book for my birthday by you guys. Yeah. Uh, absolutely sped through it one night. And I'm like, I won the second one. And so I bought the second one, sped through that one. Yep. I was like, give me more, give me more. You're like, um, no, we're not done. And I was like, no. Yes. I'm glad that you had that reaction. Yeah. The next one has slowed down considerably, which is sad. So that's why I've sort of forced phase three into going faster. <laughs> well, that's really exciting. So we've talked about how long you've um, been writing it. And you also kind of touched on this a little bit. You're co-authoring a book. What does that mean? Yeah. So co- Jessica Broadhead is the co-author. We've been really great friends our whole life. And and so we write it together, but it's not as comprehensive as you might think. The first one, we had basically no plans, like occasional plans of what we were going to do. So when we read the other person's part, it was just as fresh and new as if it was a comic we'd never heard of before because we had no idea what each other was doing, um, which, you know, doesn't go well for plot, as you've read. <laughs> no, probably, from reading it. Um, but yeah, so the... The co-author system is basically she writes three pages and draws them, and then I write three pages and draw them. But second phase, we planned every chapter of like the main points that are going to happen. So it's far more planned than the first phase, although this one, I think we still have moments where we mess with the system and the other person didn't know it was going to happen, and it makes it for fun surprises. <laughs> yeah. So we can't talk about Ghostlight without talking about your co-author. Tell us a little bit about your co-author. Yeah, so Jessica was one of my really close friends we met in third or fourth grade. Um, And we both loved creativity, loved to write. We both loved to read as well. So we became friends um, and sort of rallied more friends around us as we got older. And she got really into anime, as I did. We're basically siblings. So she's kind of like a sister in that we've spent so much time together and had so much fun. And it's kind of a sibling dynamic at this point. And she... Loved the first one. We both had different opinions on occasion, which made for a really good drama in the comic. The second one we've been working on for a while and love it. And and after the second phase, I think she was kind of like, well, like, I think I'm happy with where I'm at. And I was like, well, I have these other plans. Is it okay if I go forward with those? Would that bother you? And she's like, no, nah, it's fine. And so she's she's kind of been an audience member, but also somebody who can nod her head with approval when when I do stuff, which is nice. That's really cool. We've talked about that it's a physical comic and you have all these plans with all these different books. But Ghost Sight is unique where it has its story in other mediums. What are those mediums? Yeah, so it it was basically just a comic, but now it's also a film series, which is really exciting. Um, And at one point it was going to have a novelization I was working on and that got scrapped. But some of the elements of that novelization are actually in the film, which is kind of fun. So... It morphed from a novelization to a film. <laughs> How did you come up with the idea to film Go Sight? Yeah, so um, I was, I had these elements in this in this book. It, the book was going to be called The Curious Case of Cory Walker. And in it, we had a character named Cory Walker who was this white kid who was kind of bland and like the other characters in Go Sight, he goes home to his apartment and meets Key, one of the villains from the first phase who's now a ghost. And it, become sort of a werewolf story with key and that was it um but i didn't i didn't like it very much and so later you actually were at my apartment with other people and 
I was like, I'd like to film something again. And I remember you were like, do it, like jump on that. And I was like, okay, like maybe I will. <laughs> and so I started writing initially a murder mystery that had nothing to do with Ghost Side at all. And as I was writing it, I was like, ah, I don't know. And then I started feeling like maybe I could do a Ghost Sight film. Jessica had written a whole script actually of a Ghost Sight film. Um, and some of those scenes have ended up in the most recent Tangled Red ones actually. Um, or at least inspiration from her scenes. And she decided, you know what, I don't think I want to do it. It's just not going to be what I want it to be. And I was like, well, that's a shame. I want to do it. So then I was like, how do you guys feel about doing a ghost sight film? And everyone was down. So I was like, cool, I'm going to write a script and here we go. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that night. You're like, eh, I don't know. And I've always had a joy of acting and TV production, like everything. I took it in high school as well. And so being behind the um, camera being in front of the camera the writing process editing process I absolutely loved it and just to be part of a project <laughs> where I'm not fully in control was going to be different because I had always my senior year of high school um, done all the projects and been in control and been the director um, so it was just going to be an interesting um, experience to be in front of the camera and not have control <laughs> over everything and it's kind of nice right to have a break and just be like cool you tell me what to do and I'll I'll do my own version of it. <laughs> yeah. So what scenes were inspired by the original script that Jessica wrote in Tangled Threads? How did they inspire those? Yeah. So I, I did it almost ignorantly, to be honest. And then as I was editing it, I was like, oh my gosh, I did not realize that this scene is like almost pulled from her script and inspired by it. So she gets some credit, I think, for the script on this one. Um, there's a scene where, so in the original, her plot was about a ghost sight kid who has a friend that's not a ghost sight and ends up trying to convince her like, I can actually see ghosts. And he has this ghost friend that sort of has a crush on him, sort of doesn't. And they talk a lot. And there's one really specific scene. I was supposed to play the main character. So I was like, I don't know if I can play this, but um, in the scene, he's in his bedroom. He's talking to this ghost sight girl after school. They're talking, I mean, a ghost girl, sorry. He's ghost sight. She's a ghost. They're talking to each other in the bedroom and he at one point as a romantic tension thing is like can you turn around i need to take my clothes off and like change into my pajamas and she turns around she's like oh my gosh yeah and he starts changing and she like almost turns around and sees him and is like oh whoops and and you know other than that that was the scene basically in her script and i basically pulled that scene out where xander who originally didn't have any ghost person but i think after we filmed the first one into the dark I was like, this is ghost sight, and there's not a single ghost in Into the Dark. So with Tangled Threads, I was like, I'd really like to have one, and the idea for Alicia came up, and I looked at her script and was like, actually, like that, I really like that dynamic, and I sort of fit it together. So, so before we get too far, I would like to talk about the different films. So tell us yeah. about the first film. What is it called? Like, what is it about? Yeah, Ghost Sight Into the Dark is um, the first film. And we filmed that, I, th- I think, 2018-19 is sort of when all of that was being written and yeah, filmed. Yeah, written and filmed. Is that right? Mm-hmm. So that, that's the first one. And it's a part of Phase 3. So it isn't Phase 3 in its entirety. It's sort of a spin-off story of something that's going to happen in Phase 3 from the perspective of a different character than the main character. Um, and it's essentially about... The world is blown open at this point because of phase two. Everybody's in danger. Stuff's going wrong. And D, one of the characters from the first phase, who's now in this position of power, starts getting these other vampire councils to train new people. And we need more people. And we need to sort of expand our enterprise here. So it's about the third vampire council, who's very new, very fresh, doesn't quite know what they're doing. 
Um, and they have basically only two people, whereas the first Vampire Council has like 10 by the end of phase two. So with phase three, these Vampire Council has Todd and Lillian, a vampire and a ghost site. And they're sort of sending them out on missions. And unfortunately, they run into, in one of their missions, this witch who is the Thanos of the ghost site universe, I would say. Um, his name's Sethrius, and he is this horrible guy who's been pulling strings this whole time, incredibly powerful, um, more powerful than any of the villains they faced so far. And he starts to sort of lay down his chessboard is into the dark. He starts to manipulate these characters in ways that will prove very fatal in later <laughs> moments in life. So that's Into the Dark, and now Tangled Threads is the sequel to that one and is about Xander. Okay, do you want to tell us a little bit more about the characters in the films? Yeah, so um, Into the Dark has, as the main characters, Todd, who's this ghost site guy who's he's just trying so hard to live his life well and to do a good job, and he's very inexperienced. He's sort of been baptized by fire and is thrown into this and just wants to make it work and struggles. Um, and Lillian is his partner, a vampire, who loves him in a romantic way. <laughs> and... Um, so they're, they're partners. They sort of have this romance. They were on their verge towards marriage. They were talking about it. Um, and, and she's very headstrong, very, I know what I'm doing and I can do it the right way. Uh, but her whole personality kind of collapses on itself when um, Todd breaks up with her because he feels he has to do the, his duty to the council because he gets Xander, this new young ghost site recruit that he's required to train. But Todd himself has not gone through training, so he doesn't feel... Like, he can fit the role. He has a lot of imposter syndrome, I think, in that regard. And Xander feels really hurt because his parents have died, and he's he doesn't feel like he's being utilized, and the council's afraid to use him. So that's kind of the main characters of the story. But then you have the villains of the story, who is Sethrius, who I play, um, and he is that Thanos character. He's this horrible witch who who is manipulating everyone and has ties to things in the whole Ghost Sight universe. Um and then you have Amoria, his servant, played by you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, and she is a uh, aristocratic European vampire who sort of found Sethrius hundreds of years ago and has devoted herself to him and his cause. And then you have Picus, a werewolf that sort of is a hired hand that Sethrius found. And he likes to kind of push around and is sort of the dog of the house that, that nobody really respects, but that he uses to sick after people. Um, and those are, those are basically the main villains. And then you have the council, Charlotte, who's the leader, Mava, who's sort of this really mean, scathing <laughs> member of the council who is not the nicest person in the world and feels really strict. And then you have Viv Viviana, who's kind of the mom of the council, just trying to keep everybody together and happy. So now that we kind of know a little bit about the characters in the first film, what happens in the first film? Yeah, so the first film um, is about they, Lillian and Todd, go to this place. They end up fighting this regular vampire, everyday kind of mission feel. But unfortunately, that vampire was working for Sethrius and was sort of asked to make sure these people get an item that he has at his house. So they take this seeing stone away, and Sethrius starts to manipulate these people. He goes to Lillian a year later and lets her know, like, hey, Todd never loved you. Also, you have to do what I say or I kill him and you and everyone else you love. Um, and so Lillian sort of pushed into the corner of what she has to do to keep everyone safe. So she is essentially forced to betray the council by leading Todd to Sethrius. And Sethrius basically demands, I get Xander. And we don't know why he wants Xander yet, but we know that Xander is somebody Sethrius is very interested in. And so that's, that's the plot of the first one. 
Okay. And you said it's continued on to his second one. Tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about the second one. The second one was a way bigger enterprise than the first one ever was. I'm actually kind of shocked as I'm reaching the end of the editing stage of like how big this was and that it got accomplished somehow. <laughs> um, the first one's 28 minutes. This one's 42. Um, and this one has way more locations, way more characters, way more extras, like a way bigger story. Um, and this one was interesting because it... Lillian's kind of the main character of one and two it's Xander. Um, so Lillian takes more of a back seat, but Lillian is fired from the council after everything that happened in one. She's trying to figure out who she is again without Todd now. Um, and Todd is still kind of trying to figure stuff out and feels way incapable now that he sees what he's up against with Sethrius. It did not go well for him at the end of the first one, as you know. Yeah. <laughs> Arms were broken. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, he's he's not in a good place. And Xander's really not in a good place. He's been told that there's all these threats around him, and yet he hasn't seen anything happen to him. So he's like, is this all, like, fake? Are you guys lying to me? And so he's in a really unhealthy place and trying to figure out who he is. But meanwhile, of course, Sethrius, Amoria, and Picus are moving the chess pieces around and manipulating more people. And, and you start to see Sethrius sort of corner Xander so that way he can manipulate him as well. So it's, it's, I would describe Tangled Threads as a really complicated chess game. <laughs> yeah, I can totally see that because <laughs> we see the villains go visit somebody to take care of something, but fully knowing that uh, what happens there will affect Xander and will affect how people react and will affect everything. It's just a domino effect of what happens. Yeah, actions and reactions. And and I think that's why I really enjoy Sathrius is almost every villain in the story so far has sort of just been these warlords or these crazy people that just are interested in violence. Whereas Sathrius is so calculating and so like nitpick about everything that I think he's a far bigger threat than the other villains have been because Sethrius knows what he's doing far more than they did. Not to give any spoilers uh, to the end of the second one, where do we see our characters towards the end of the second film? Um, I think because I would I would describe what Sethrius, Amoria, and Picus accomplish really in the second one is they muddy the water. So I think what where the characters find themselves at the end is Sethrius feels pretty darn good about where he's at. Amoria feels pretty darn good of where she's at. And just about every other character, including Picus, is sort of misplaced and is like, I have no idea who I am or what I'm supposed to be doing or how to do it. And so I think Sethrius has basically discombobulated every character where now they're in a place of uncertainty. And because they're in a place of uncertainty, in that final third one, we're going to see Sethrius be able to push everyone exactly where he wants them to be. Can we talk about the third one a little bit? Like, yeah. what's going to happen? So the third one, I think, is really well described, of course, without spoilers, by its title, Moths to the Flame, because Sethrace is now drawing everyone to a big fire that's going to kill a lot of people. And so three is sort of that culminating climax where we get to see where everybody ends up and what's going to happen and where that's going to lead us in the future in phase three and four. So I think that three is, I mean, one is the setup of the world. Two is starting to see how that world can work. Three is seeing how that world can go up in flames. <laughs> That's really exciting. Uh, we've already filmed some of the third one. Mm-hmm. Um, and just, I think that's taking the characters as far as they go um, and seeing where they will continue on from that point. Because you you told me, but um, once this film is done, the third film, they're going to the comics. Mm-hmm. So how is it going to transition from the films over into the comics? 
Yeah, great question. So um, phase three is that quartet, Corey, Sophia, Chrissy, and Xander. And yet the only one you really get to know in the films is Xander. Um, and so you get to see, essentially what I'm going to do is I'm going to go backwards in time. We're going to look at just Corey, Chrissy, Sophia, and Xander together. And then you're going to start to see clues in the comic where something's happening. And you won't know what it is unless you've seen the films because... Xander starts to disappear more and things start to get more intense. So you start to see clues from, from the uh, comic kind of bleeding into the film and vice versa. And then once you hit sort of where that film, the last one, Moss to the Flame, ends, we go back to the comic and start to see everything that's going on with those characters. And that will lead us to our final act in phase four. I'm excited to see where we take the, you take these characters after the film ends because after three, filming's done. Yeah, and it's, man, it's been a blast to film this, but it's also been a blast to start drawing these characters in comic form and see, like, what is this going to look like when they're no longer film characters? Right, because all of these characters that we see are all of our friends. Yeah. Um, and it's been interesting to see where each individual person takes them. One person who really surprised me was Picus the character of Picus? Hmm. He was um, portrayed by our friend Jonathan Lund. Yeah. And in the first film, he just kind of seemed like this, just meat. He he just got pushed things around. Yeah. But in the end of the film, there's this part where part of his werewolf pack has been killed. And when we were filming that scene, it was like our very last scene that we were filming. Oh. It was a big climax. It had been months in the making because we had had film delays, and where you deliver the line. Oh no, Picus! Uh, looks like the Vampire Council fil- killed your friends, and it cuts to Picus, and he's just shocked. Yeah. But there were multiple takes that we took where he just started crying. Right. And I was just like, it was amazing, shocked. And it was in that moment where you could see Picus being more than something than just meat pushing everything around. Yeah. Well, and that, like what you said, that's the beauty of the film is that these characters, of course, have a world in my brain. That I, that I created them in and thought of them as. But once you see people start to personify that character and to put their own ideas into who that character is, it builds the story so well. Because Picus really, I mean, even before Jonathan Lund did that scene, Picus was supposed to be a vampire who did straight up nothing in the film, basically. He was just there. Um, and then Jonathan was like, what if he was a werewolf? And then we messed with that. And then we gave him a pack. And then we started figuring out all of this stuff. And because of that, no spoilers, Picus has an incredibly different arc than he ever would have had. He had a death in Moss to the Flame. Now he is going to have a very different path to go on. <laughs> uh, that's exciting. And it's been interesting to see how each person has um, brought their character to life. Yeah. Because when I remember the first time we filmed, I didn't have a whole lot to my character. I was more, felt like I was behind the scenes, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but as I got to watch my friends, I got the idea of like, okay, like you do this. I should kind of, I feel like I should kind of counteract that because our main uh, character in the first one, Lillian, she's also a vampire and she's also this like righteous, like do good. Whereas I'm a vampire and a villain. Um, yeah. It was interesting to say, okay, how can I do that? But polar opposite. So I feel like Amoria is more dedicated and very um, following of Sethrius, like no matter what, um, yeah. which is really exciting. Well, and to, to the credit of you, what you brought to, <laughs> you're right. What you brought to Amoria, Amoria was also intended to just kind of be the servant in the background 
which is her role really in Into the Dark. But because of sort of the personality you brought into it and this coldness that you managed to capture in Amoria, I started to have more ideas of her. And now she's sort of going to be a bigger villain in that phase four than she ever was going to be before and have some really cool fight scenes. So It's exciting to see how each person has influenced the character and their future into the comic. Yeah, for sure. And they all have. Everyone's influenced them in big ways. So we've talked about all these characters, and but we haven't talked about the main character that I wanted to talk about, Sethrius. <laughs> you play Sethrius. Yeah. Tell me about the inspiration of Sethrius and how you play Sethrius. Yeah, so Sethrius, what's funny is the other day I was looking through my old drawers and I found my old notebook where I put ideas. And in it, it said, some kind of male witch that wants to kill death. And I was like, oh my gosh, that was the first thought of, of Sethrius. Um, so really what I thought about is, I mean, again, I'm going to go back to the Marvel analogy. I was watching Infinity War and I, and I remember... I already had thoughts of what I wanted to do in phase three, but I really asked myself, Ghost Sight in phase one and two has big villains and scary ones. So I was like, if there was a big bad, like a really big bad in the Ghost Sight universe, who would that be? Because how can you beat some of these villains that have already existed? I mean, Cougar in the first one is horrifying. Yeah. Um, so I was like, how, do, how can you find a villain that is greater than what they've already faced? And I sort of came up with this idea of this witch who is far more human than any of the other villains have been. They've all sort of been these tyrants and these monsters. But Sethrius, I really wanted to get the impression that when people watch or read him, that they just hate his guts. <laughs> but they also hate that they understand him. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, I get you, but I hate you. <laughs> right. um, so that was kind of the impression behind Sethrius and the idea that somebody could be incredibly powerful. Um based on their experience and life that they've lived. And and when you look back on the Ghost Sight universe, there is only one other witch villain that you meet. And she is kind of a loser. <laughs> so so I was like, I've seen we've seen demons in the Ghost Sight universe. We've seen ghosts. We've seen even other Ghost Sight users that were villains. But we haven't really seen a witch that's a villain. And so I really wanted to explore that. And that's where Sethrius started to get unboxed. Do you want to tell us about like the history and lore behind Sethrius? Yeah. So Sethrius is from Rome. I mean, if, if you do your research on his name, that's an, an, a Roman name. It's a European name. Um, and he was a witch that was a good guy. He, I mean, he was still sarcastic and mean sometimes, but you know, he was a guy who believed in the greater cause of things and, and his mission I've, I've entertained the idea of actually doing a spin-off comic of all of this stuff, but we'll see um, how exhausted I am at the end. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. But um, he was going after this really evil witch named Ravar, um, and his story was all a tragedy of how, because of his fight with Ravar, people he loved died, and he got this illness from fighting Ravar as sort of a final curse from Ravar, which was going to kill him, and no magic could undo it, and that bothered him because to Sethrius he was like if I have all of this magic what's the point if I can't help myself mm -hmm. feel better and save myself and so he he ended up unfortunately going the way of lots of Shakespeare people and that he because of his hubris and his fear of death ends up making some big mistakes that caused him to now have to continually live his life by transferring his soul to new bodies, which is very complicated. No other witch has been able to accomplish it, really, including Ravar. And so he's lived longer than anyone else. And when you have 2,000 years of experience, you learn a whole lot. And that's what makes him so powerful. It's not 
just he's physically strong because, you know, I play him. I'm, I'm not buff at all. Um, but what makes him strong is that he is incredibly intelligent and incredibly experienced and knows magic better than anyone else. That's amazing. And one question that I had is Sethrius is this very dark character. Um, and we all joke on set. You can see when Sethrius is in the room and you can see when Ethan is in the room. Because <laughs> yes. you are very polar opposite people. Where And we kind of touched on this in the last episode. You're very light <laughs> and like, let's just all be friends. Where Sethrius is like, I'm going to rip your throat out. Yes. Like, <laughs> how do you do that switch? Because it's a terrifying mm. switch sometimes. <laughs> the time that Thank like you. things comes to my mind is when we were filming the second one, there's a scene where I come and tell you, we've just received some news and we're discussing this news and you are kind of reprimanding me and a character comes in just to kind of say I'm done and you just kind of lose it on him because you were already <laughs> upset with me and you just take all of your anger out on him and that was terrifying just that switch because <laughs> you're just this very happy-go-lucky and then all of a sudden you're like I'm gonna murder you if you say the wrong thing <laughs> so how do you do that switch man well thank you first of all that's really nice um some of that switch I think is easy because when I've, I've played other heroes before, I'm so bad at playing good guys. <laughs> and I don't know what that says about me, but some of it I think is that I, like a good guy would, I consider myself a good guy if I was in a story. How do I nuance myself into a different kind of good guy? Whereas because Sethrius is so polar opposite, I think it's easier for me to be like, I just need to not be Ethan at all. Um, and so channeling some of that was a lot of fun. And I think just really getting into the moment, forgetting everything else, like I'm Sethrius now, um, and letting it live at that. And I remember when we did that scene, um, it wasn't in the script, but I was holding a book and I was like, I don't even think I said it to you guys. I just did it in one shot where I like slammed it on a table and I was like, actually, I really, really like that. Um, and like everyone flinched and was like, oh my gosh. And so I was like, I think that works really well. Um, and so some of it is also just playing with what you've got. And I rem I still remember slamming the book. And I didn't mean it to be aggressive at all, but it was a heavy book on a table. And so it slammed way hard. And I remember Jonathan kind of jumped and was like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, if he jumped and got intimidated by that, I have to do it again and louder next time. So yeah. so I think some of it also just comes from playing in the scene. And when I when you know when you get to play with your friends, it's basically playing pretend together. And it... It's so fun, and so I, I love doing that. Oh, yeah, filming has just been, I think, a way to bring us all together where we have these more busy, busy schedules. Like, you're married. Um, a few friend of our friends just got married, I think, in the future. One of our friends very soon <laughs> will be getting married. Yes, um, and, yes. And so everybody's schedule gets busier and busier, and friends are moving away, um, which even though they're thousands of miles away, they're still... Um, we're still friends. And so yeah. this is going to bring us together all the time. Like we can just look back and like, Oh, we did this really cool thing together. And I'm really excited that we have done that. And I know it's so great. And I, I agree. I think it's great when, especially when people are far away that you can look back on YouTube and be like, Oh, like I loved doing that with those people. And you kind of feel connected to them. So I'm going to be really sad actually. I think when most of the flame is over and we're like, well, that's it. But of course it's not because like we discussed in one of your previous episodes, um, I've already told people like, I don't know, should I be done with filming? I'm not. I'm already thinking of other stories to tell. So I'm sure there'll be more filming things in the future with everybody. I think it will be sad when we do see Ghost Sight 
be done because we started i think you started the writing process for the first script in 2018 yeah and we will finish the film in 2021 which is four years that's a four-year process it's crazy but so cool it's been so awesome i mean i did chiasmus a film that i did once and it was fun and i loved it and it's great but i remember going to season two and it just wasn't what i wanted it to be and it was hard so i was like eh, the inspiration's kind of dried up but with ghost sight which is so like like we've discussed it's a tw- it's, i've had this in my life for 12 years so it's been a huge part of my creative process and to see like everybody come to the table and and love doing it and build up their roles and love the script and bring their own props and man it's been the best filming experience i've ever had and it's it's just inspiring to see great friends help bring a universe i've always loved to life <laughs> Well, like you've said, you absolutely love filming and you just always have this bug and you're like never going to snap. Like yep. we know you, Ethan, you'll never stop. <laughs> I'll never stop. That's real. <laughs> Let's kind of switch gears a little bit and talk about the filming process. Yeah. So uh, what is your favorite part about the filming process, whether that be pre-production, um, production or post-production? Ooh, that is a, that's a really good question. I, I like them all. I think my favorite is probably pre-production but barely it barely is my favorite and I think the reason I love it is first of all I love being in the script by myself because I feel like I'm the only one that knows about this right now I'm excited to reveal things to people about what's going to happen to their characters because hopefully they're excited to know what's going to happen next Um, and then doing the script read is always a highlight for me because I love when I get to start to hear because I've written my script and you kind of get in your own head and it's Ethan's voice um, through the whole script and then when you start to hear people read their lines, you're like, oh, it's these guys. The And like lines get altered and fixed so they fit how these people feel about their characters. I love that part of, of it. But also I think I love post-production because I get to see everything come together. The hardest is production because you start to get tunnel vision and you start like we filmed Tangled Threads totally out of order. Into the Dark was basically in order for the mm-hmm. most part. Like the ending scene was the last thing we filmed, which was nice. But... Tangle Threads was all over the place mm-hmm. with Moths to the Flame scenes mixed in there. Right. So you get to a point where you're like, is, are any of these scenes making any sense at all? And then when you start to put them together in order, you're like, okay, I can see it. I can see the vision coming together. Mm-hmm. So I think my favorites are pre and post. And I love production, but production is probably the hardest part of the filming process. Talking about the hardest part of the filming process, like what is the most difficult part about actually filming because we've had some experiences <laughs> this last time when we yeah, filmed we um <laughs> that you have absolutely like hated like tell me about those experiences yep audio i hate audio so much i hate audio um and the reason why is audio is like such a fine art that really none of us are masters of um we know enough to make it work so I mean, you know this story, but we'll tell it for people who don't. Um, The very first day of filming was meant to be like the big kickoff. And I rented some audio equipment from a store that will remain nameless. (laughs) And man, the audio equipment, first of all, they didn't have the equipment. I had to go to a whole nother place in order to get more stuff because they didn't have the right parts, which sucked. 
And then after that, we got back and it was trash. The audio was fuzzing out and was loud and wrong, basically. And I like had a little panic attack and went into my bedroom, which I'm sure everyone saw but ignored on purpose because they were like, Ethan's going to die. And I had like a come to Jesus moment where I just like had to be like, you know what? It is what it is. And there's nothing I can do about it. And it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) So then I came out. We filmed one scene because, man, the actor had to go through so much makeup. I was like, there's no way we're not filming that scene tonight. Um, And we filmed it without audio. And you know what? It's turning out okay. So I hate working with equipment for the most part. And it's almost always audio. It's rarely the camera. So I hate audio a lot. And I, I think there's an occasion where everybody in the room, particularly when we're getting makeup done, starts to feel really stressed with our schedule and you can just feel it in the room and I hate that too. I never like that. Once we're on set, the equipment is going and people are doing the lines, it's so much fun. But everything around that can get really stressful. I'm sure you know. Yeah, I was, I was there that day. There's also other factors of that day that just made it like feel like it was the end of the world. Like yes. what, what other factors were there? It rained like hardcore poured, but then on and off, like it would change over and over and over again. And you know, he's in makeup, rain's going to mess with it. It's going to mess with the equipment, like the camera. So all of that went wrong and our schedule went wrong. And then my parents who we were going to film at their house, their power went out. It was a disaster. It was probably the worst filming day I think I've ever had on Ghost Sight. <laughs> yeah, I, re- I remember that day. Uh, I was helping with the makeup because it was a very extensive makeup. It just wasn't face. It was like full upper body makeup. Yeah. Um, we were like stressing trying to get it completed because it was taking a whole lot longer than we were thinking. Uh-huh. And then, so we were behind. And then we had the issue with the rain and then the issue with the sound equipment. And then the power went out and everything was oh. just going wrong. It was like, nope, you were not filming today. It was, yeah, it was divine intervention saying for some reason you are not filming today. But to everyone's credit, everyone tried so hard to make it work anyway. And like my wife, who is a hero, went into her closet and pulled the shoelaces off of her shoes in order to like tie it and jimmy rig our boom mic. And man, everyone tried so hard and it was so inspiring to know that people weren't just like, well, this sucks. We quit. Like they tried so hard. And I love that. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's just so dedicated. I think a lot of people, not just you, were saddened that we couldn't film yeah. because we actually had delays for, because of COVID. Yep. Because the original plan was to have the script reading, script reading in March, film everything in April and May. Yeah. That was the original plan. <laughs> <laughs> COVID's a thing. Happen. COVID's a thing. Well, and even the script reading, it was meant to be in my apartment altogether. And almost everyone was on Zoom because quarantine. <laughs> yeah. We had a few people there, um, but we had a huge cast, and there was no way that we could fit everybody in there. Yeah, we did. Man, we really upped the cast on the second one. It was a lot. Yeah, I think I calculated it out once, because from the first one, we had... These are all our characters. So our main characters, we had uh, Todd and Lillian, Uh with Xander kind of being more of a supporting character. So we had those three. We had the three council members, uh, Viviana, uh, Mava, and Charlotte. Uh-huh. And then we had the three um, bads, Sathrius, Amoria, and Pycus. And then we kind of had these background characters where we had the three um, pack for Pycus, those yeah. three characters that were in maybe one or two scenes and then died off. And then we had Rathen was mm-hmm. one scene. So there was 14 from the first original film, Yeah, four of which died off. Uh-huh. So we went into the second film with those original 10 Plus, uh-huh. we added um, Xander as a more 
prominent character plus his three friends. His friends. And then we added so many of the the red, is it the red hand? The red hand, which is like six new characters Mm -hmm. alone. And really all, I mean, even though they're extras, they all are prominent in the edit that I've done. Like you see them all. And Mm so, and they all had a role to play. Right. And then we have all these extras. So I think in total, we ended up with a cast of 20 to 21. And that's not counting those behind the scenes who did sound (sighs) and who did props and who did everything. So I think in total, we had... 25 people working on this film so we basically doubled more than doubled what we had before which is crazy once we get rid of those dead characters so yeah it's insane right and everybody was just so dedicated to it and i was so great to see everybody work so hard so kind of to wrap up where do you see ghost going in the future we've kind of talked about it but what is your plan from here on out yeah so the plan is right now we're going to finish part two of um Phase two, which is me and Jess just writing the comic. That will probably take a while. But while that's happening, um, we're going to finish Miles to the Flame. And then we're, I'm going to, I've been working on a comic of my own called Ghost Sight Untold Stories, which is sort of a prequel to the first phase and gives us an idea of where these characters came from. And, and you see some clues into what's going to happen in phase four. So that's going to get done hopefully next year is my hope. Um, so those are going to be done. Then I'm going to jump into phase three. I'm going to start drawing these characters that we've seen on film into a comic book. Phase four is going to happen, um, but kind of as like an offshoot to phase... Phase four is the official end of Ghost Sight Universe. Like after that, I think I'm done. But I have, as of yesterday, started playing with the idea of doing a short film. It wouldn't have multiple parts. It would be in the Ghost Sight Universe, um, and it would be a prequel to to Todd and Lillian's story of how they met each other, but would be less of an action adventure, which is what these ones have been, and more of a horror drama where there's a ghost that Todd meets that's deeply in love with him and wants to kill Lillian. Oh, dear. And is like a psycho, like a, like a villain, a monster. Um, so a very evil female ghost that that is obsessed with Todd. And so it would, it would be a short film and a horror and so it would be a little bit of a mood change. But I, I've been considering that as well. So that may that may appear. There'll always be spinoffs probably my whole life. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it will ever like go psycho. Yeah, I don't think I will either. I love it way too much. It's been 12 years. So let's make it 12 more. <laughs> right, right. Um, so for people who want to see the films, um, where can they find them? Yeah, so um, if you want to watch Ghost Sight, you can go to, go. you just type into your search bar on YouTube, Ghost Sight colon Into the Dark. That will give you my channel. Uh, the channel is called Utah's Missing Entertainment. Um, and so they, they can subscribe and they can go on there and watch the trailers and some behind the scene interviews and the first and hopefully when this episode comes out, the second one too. Yeah. Um, what is your hope for when the third one will get there so people can kind of have an idea of when the third one will be there? Yeah, the third one is probably going to come out either August or September of next year. So the the filming, I'm hoping, will be done at the end of June. That will give me July and August to get it done. So I'd say end of August, beginning of September is what people can hope for. Well, thank you so much for talking Thanks. with me. It was so interesting to see um, your love for Ghost Sight and your love for filming and how it has translated into the comics, into the movies, and where they're going to go in the future. Well, thanks for having me, and thanks for being a great Amoria. <laughs> well, you're welcome. <laughs> thanks. On next week's episode of Talented. And that builds up kind of like when you make a candle, if you've ever seen candles being made. And the layers get thicker and thicker. You end up with like a rubber coating all over it. And then you put a plaster, kind of like a mother mold or a casing over it. 
we get the opportunity to sit down with local artist and sculptor Nick Corey to discuss his amazing talent and skills. Until then, happy Halloween and stay talented. (laughs) Thank you.